Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of September 2010. As always, I suggest the newcomers, and there's lots come in all the time, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website where you'll find hundreds of audios to download for free. And everyone likes free these days. People live on free, I think, and expect everyone else to live on it too sometimes. However, you'll find I try and give you a bigger picture of the big system in which you live and how it's got to be where it is today and where they plan to take it to the future. We're not just evolving along some path uh, with different groups meeting once in a blue moon to try and find a way to the future. We live in a long-term business plan where the big meetings were taking place an awful long time ago to get us to a, a distant future. Not all of us, mind you, because they have decided a long time ago that lots of us must die off on the way, or the junk genes. That's a little inside joke. The junk genes must die off because eugenicists really run the world and they are the ones who control the money system of the world and they also own the big international corporations and all the foundations that bypass governments and really create the culture and promote things for governments to sign, treaties and so on. And that was done a long time ago as well. I don't go into the hype of what they're doing today because really every day that you want to scour the papers, you'll find more things that they're doing to you. And it's of course, it's not for the good and it's not for your benefit. It's for the long-term plans benefit. That's how they see it themselves at the top. Now, look into the website, as I say, cuttingthroughmetrics.com. Bookmark the other sites I've got up there because once in a while I get trouble with a com site or too many folk go into it at the same time for download. They all have English transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given over the years, um, which you can download for print up. You can also get transcripts in other languages at alanwattsentinel.eu and print them up, pass them around to your friends. They all have the same audios too. Now, if you want to buy the books and so on, you can purchase the books, discs, etc., and that will hopefully keep me ticking over because it's up to you, listeners, to support me. I don't advertise. Uh, the ads on this show are paid by advertisers to RBN, and that pays for the airtime and staff equipment and bills and all the rest of it at the station. And that's a very expensive um, business to be in. So you have to help me out here by buying the books and the discs. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check. You can use an international postal money order, if you wish, from the U.S. to Canada. Uh, you can use cash uh, outside the Americas and America, too. You can use PayPal, too, for donations or to purchase. If you want to purchase, send a separate email with your name, address, and order after the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you. Across the world, too, they also have Western Union, which is pretty steep for its fee. 
uh, MoneyGram is a bit cheaper, and some people, again, still send cash, and it seems to get through. But I, as I say, I try not to hype up things, how bad it is. I'll tell you how bad it is, all right, but I don't hype it into some fearful uh, terror that simply buckles your minds until you're under the kitchen table, quivering, um, waiting for the end to come any second. We are all living through a big change. This is the century of change, planned that way. Plans by people who seldom uh, had, were mentioned in the newspapers at the time. The media, remember, is not there to keep you informed of anything. It's an, it's an essential arm of control. That's what the media has always been about. And I'll be back with more on this topic after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, most folk take it for granted. As I say, they're born into a matrix, a system, uh, an all-pervasive system, a complete system too, that has various agencies looking into your mum when she's pregnant, uh, following her up after the child, then following the child up into school, recording, uh, testing. All through your life, really, you're monitored and billions of people across the world now are going through the same system, this global system, with all the data fed into computers. And they know uh, the top, of course, have always known this from a, even before they gave you the big city structure. They knew what the effects would be when they crammed millions of people into these monstrosities and how it really dislocated the mind from belonging to a small community, a natural community. Uh, and what the effects would be, all the aberrant behavior, of course, they talked about would break out. How do they know this? Because they tried it in ancient times, too. Cities are artificial structures, only really meant to go along with the system of money and commerce. And those who run the commercial systems and run the money systems uh, really run the the cities. Inside a city, you're dependent. It's the first place they created where you were interdependent in the city, because you couldn't grow your own food. Everything you needed came in from outside, from the the rural areas and agricultural areas. Everything inside the city depended upon money and the flow of money from hand to hand in exchange and so on. And they knew then, too, that when it got too big, then aberrant behaviors broke out uh, amongst all classes, in fact. It really showed at the top much more uh, quickly than it showed at the bottom. Uh, the top ones got so into their parties in ancient Rome and Greece, uh, they, they simply forgot to breed, basically. They didn't want children. Uh, children got in the way of things. Not only that, they couldn't trust their children because their children were so detached from them eventually. This always happens, too, in so-called advanced civilizations in cities, that the children will perhaps kill them and take over. So that was a big fear of the elderly, too, in ancient times. Sometimes the elderly would simply bump off their children. So aberrant behavior breaks out in all of its different facets. 
But, you know, you can read some books which give you a clue as to why you're in such a mess today. I'm not talking about just the economy. That's all a big part of it, because they, they could have kept the cities going, even the industrial cities going, for another hundred years if they wanted to. But it wasn't on the cards. They wanted to move it all to China. So technically you have working class peoples all left um, on welfare systems, doing part-time jobs, and the aberrant behavior increases due to tension and survival. But Jack C. Lowell goes into some of this, and he was a very good writer, a philosopher, very obsessional in how he'd tear things apart sometimes, minutely, as though he was dissecting something very precise. But in the technological society, which he wrote, he said this on page 321. He said, Man was made to do his daily work with his muscles, but see him now like a fly on flypaper, seated for eight hours, motionless at a desk. Fifteen minutes of exercise cannot make up for eight hours of absence. The human being was made to breathe the good air of nature, but what he breathes is an obscure compound of acids and coal tars. He was created for a living environment, but he dwells in a lunar world of stone, cement, asphalt, glass, cast iron, and steel. The trees wilt and blanch amongst sterile and blind stone facades. Cats and dogs disappear little by little from the city, going the way of the horse. And it's true enough, you know, um, cities discourage all of that, and uh, that's one of the signs that you're going down the hill. When you, when you become detached from those things you've had around you for thousands of years. It says, only rats and men remain to populate a dead world. Man was created to have room to move about in, to gaze into far distances, to live in rooms, which even when they were tiny, opened out on fields. See him now enclosed by the rules and architectural necessities imposed by overpopulation in a 12 by 12 closet, opening out on an anonymous world of city streets. Every man is in his fix, not merely the proletariats, and nothing can be done about it. What was once the abnormal has become the usual standard condition of things. Even so, the human being is ill at ease in the strange new environments, and the tension demanded of him weighs heavily on his life and being. He seeks to flee and tumbles into the snare of dreams, they, they do with drugs and everything, trying to escape reality, you see. He tries to comply and falls into the life of organizations. He feels maladjusted and becomes a hypochondriac. But the new technological society has foresight and ability enough to anticipate these human reactions. He's telling you you're guided by higher powers here. It says, has foresight and ability enough to anticipate these human reactions. It has undertaken with the help of techniques of every kind to make supportable what was not previously so and not indeed by modifying anything in man's environment by taking, but by taking action upon man himself. Psychology, massive psychology. Psychology is resorted to more and more. Everybody knows how important morale is. Man can support the harshest and most inhumane living conditions provided his morale holds. Innumerable psychological examples and experiments confirm this. In a world where technique demands the utmost of men, this maximum cannot be attained, maintained, or surpassed. 
as sometimes is required, except by a wall that is always steady and taut. Man does not by nature possess such a wall. He is by no means naturally prepared for such a sublime condition. And if he sometimes does attain it to, to it naturally, the exaltation endures only a few moments. Yet it must be prolonged. Psychological conditions uh, must be created to enable the individual to give his utmost to war or peace and to resist uh, prostration and discouragement in the face of the dreadful conditions of life into which technique has forced him. Now, technique is a very interesting term. They use about uh, all of science, really. Each science has its own particular area and special branch, but all these techniques tie into one technique. It's, it's what some of them call even progress. All these techniques and technique of man, controlling man, move into an area of what's deemed as progress. Now, progress is something that people like H.G. Wells, who was a propagandist for the Fabian Society and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council on Foreign Relations, he talked about the future where they would go off into space, ultimately, the better types, the sons and daughters of those that were fittest to be chosen out of the herd, and the herd would sort of die off. He also wrote a book called A Modern Utopia, where he talks about a stage we're pretty well at today, um, where the elites coming out in force now, talking about mandatory sterilization, when they look at all the dysfunctional people within the cities, and these cities were only dysfunctional, really, for the last 20-odd years, 25 years, um, in, a, in the state they are now, because they withdrew all the work from those cities. And what was left was drugs, welfare state, uh, and so on. A crime uh, escalates and dysfunction breaks out of all kinds, especially when you pour the drugs into it. And that's all part of it, too. Pharma, pharma is actually used by illegal drugs getting pumped in to those areas to keep them fairly quiet, although dysfunctional, as long as they're beating up each other for drugs, they're not beating up the rest of society. That's how they see it at the top. And so, in other words, they contain it as they take us down. But uh, H.G. Wells did mention in the modern utopia that he says, we weren't brutal about killing the people like some regimes. He says, we allow them uh, to be sterilized along the way live a life and then die off. Then the whole gene pool, you see, of what they called the poverty gene was gone. And what they also mean by that, too, is that those that consisted of the working class are also gone. They don't need them anymore. Why do you need in a global society your own working class when you've already decided and written all the treaties to, to give all the work and factories to China? You don't need your own working class. Interesting, when they signed the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs and all the other treaties to do investment in foreign countries without an impedance or hindrance of any kind, they had China in mind. They had China in mind, by the way, from the 1930s. China in the 1930s was a third world country. And you can read the Royal Institute of International's books, their organizational's books, published by the Rockefeller Foundation that talked about building China up to be the manufacturer of the planet. This was before World War II. They knew what they were going to do, which means they also had big think tanks working on what would be the fallout in all the countries back home. There's nothing new 
happening today that surprises me at all because I've read all their books. Read all their books. And there's not one single, single media outlet in the planet has ever published this kind of stuff as, as it's happening and told the public where it's all going and why it's going this way. That's not their job. Their job is to keep you in a, in a world where you think that everything's decided by the day and politicians just make the rules and regulations as they stumble along down through time. Nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing. So they knew back then what happens. They know before. Remember, too, it's very similar to what happens when they've had a world war. And they studied world wars very well. They demolished a lot of Germany by design in World War II in order to uh, create the wasteland they then rebuild the new Germany out of. That was all part of the plan. That is a military plan and an economic plan. They even had, uh, during the World War II, um, people who were bidding to build shopping malls in a post-World War II Germany while it was still going on. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about the situation of being estranged really in society as we go through these massive changes. It's all known, it's known long before they brought on the first uh, parts of their major plans for the 21st century and they're already preparing it and implementing it in the 20th century uh, and they've pretty well got to, to where they want it today with the massive bureaucracies, social work departments and all kinds of things to deal to deal with the the fallout in society. It's just incredible. But as I say, they, know, they knew this an awful long time ago, what would happen, and it was always the plan, you see. Um, I mentioned, I touched on Germany and how they flattened all the major cities and all the workers' places and so on to rebuild a new Germany. That way, you see, uh, you, you're brought up in new buildings. There's, there's things there which you can't relate to with your predecessors, your ancestors, it's all new. And they like doing this, actually. They like having your buildings up for 10, 15 years and then knocking them down. You can't really relate to any permanence of belonging. That's a psychological trick to basically depress the people and make them feel estranged. When you're estranged, you're always looking for answers, and the media and the press churn out lots and lots of new answers or distractions to keep you going. In the scientific outlook, Bertrand Russell, who again was a big part of preparing uh, the, the world agenda, and it was a world agenda back in his day too, and he made no bones about that, uh, as a world run by mathematics and logic, etc. Uh, he, he talked about uh, the effects on society, and he says, the social effect of modern scientific technique is in practically all directions to demand an increase both in the size and intensity of organization. When I speak of a man's activity, when I speak of the intensity of organization, I mean the proportion of a man's activities that's governed by the fact of his belonging to some social unit. The primitive peasant may be almost entirely self-directed. He produces his own food, buys very little, and does not send his children to school. The modern man, even if he happens to be an agriculturist, 
produces only a small proportion of what he eats. If he grows wheat, for example, he probably sells the whole of his crop and buys his bread from the baker like any other man. And if he does not do this, he has to buy most of the rest of his food. In his buying and selling, he depends upon immense organizations, which are usually international. See, they're telling you back then. His reading is provided by the great newspapers, his amusements by Hollywood, the education of his children by the state, his capital in part at least by a bank, his political opinions by the party, his safety and many of his amenities by the government to which he pays taxes. Thus, in all his most important activities, he has ceased to be a separate unit and has become a dependent upon some social organization. So this is a society which makes you all dependent on it. And that's why they talk about interdependence. When you're truly interdependent, you're utterly dependent for everything you need for personal survival. It says a scientific technique advances. The most profitable size for most organizations increases. So the bigger the organization, the more say it has, the more power it has. In great many respects, national boundaries have become a technical absurdity. This is from an old book, you know. But, of course, he worked for the globalist elitist group. Uh, he was one of them. And further advance uh, demands that they should be ignored. So national boundaries should be ignored, he says. Unfortunately, nationalism is immensely strong, and the increasing power of propaganda, which scientific technique has put into the hands of national states, is being used to strengthen this anarchic force. Until this state of affairs is amended, scientific technique will not be able to achieve the results of which it is capable in the way of promoting human welfare. Now, human welfare is a very different thing to Bertrand Russell than the people who receive welfare at the bottom. You've got to understand that. These guys literally are part of a, a big organization, he worked with the Macy Group, uh, other internationals who were Trotskyites, because the Trotskyites worked very well with MI6 and MI5 and the CIA even. In fact, the OSS, and out of it came MI6 and the CIA, uh, consisted mainly of Trotskyites that, that fled Europe during World War, or just before World War II, and they became the main spies because they spoke all the languages of Europe. But they were completely into Marxist theology, and it is, a, it is a theology, and they, they believed in the Trotskyite version as opposed to the Leninist version. That was the only difference. So there's nothing new under the sun, as I say. Um, internationalism was a big uh, part of uh, the elitist plan. Now, the elitists got, got together in their organizations long, long ago, and they decided that they really already were internationalists, that they ruled their countries, they ruled the commerce of their countries. Uh, their offspring walked into the top governmental positions in foreign affairs or even in parts of the empire. They ruled parts of the empire on behalf of the kings and queens or, or governments. And it was an ongoing thing, but they were already international, and they saw even in the 1700s, and they wanted it to be an international goal for a global-type governance. And along the way, they employed all the academics they could find and brought them on board to be their advisors and, and to form think tanks to find ways of, of really bringing down nationalism in all countries. And, of course, the best way to do it, they thought, was to have world wars. That came out of the... the um, 
Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Milner Group, who said the wars were the fastest way to change all societies. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and we're back cutting through the matrix. Now, we've got a caller, Jim from Texas. Are you there, Jim? Hello, Jim. Hello? Yes. Yeah, Alan, uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First one, I don't know if you can answer it, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about the uh, diabolical nature of the elite and uh, how ruthless they are. We all know this. But you said one of the reasons maybe uh, guys like yourself and a few others are still alive is because you don't really go too far in just mm-hmm. how ruthless they are. And right before the commercial break came on, you said, in fact, it's against the law. Yeah. And I was wondering if uh, maybe you could uh, expand on that just a tiny bit. Well, every country signed uh, treaties with the United Nations and also have it written in their national constitutions of one kind or another, that if you mentioned what had to be done, uh, they'd have to immediately come and arrest you. <laughs> okay. And, and, um, and that's true. In fact, if you were to try and incite people to violence even, uh, they must also come and grab you and monitor you at least and stay with you. I know, I know some, a guy in Canada who did that. He mentioned something on television. Uh, once about what was happening in Ottawa, uh, he um, he said they should all grab uh, something and take it to Ottawa and deal with these guys. And he had CSIS, that's the, the that's like the FBI, uh, outside his door every morning, uh, all night long too, and they'd follow him to work and back. And so he even got to know them. He'd bring them coffee. And um, he said to, one day, I guess, when the guys had a hangover and he was giving, giving them coffee, he says, um, he says, um, you know, you, he's trying to teach them. He said, I'll teach these guys who they're really working for. Maybe they'll change their minds, these agents. And he said, um, he says, these guys are ruthless at the top and these are the plans for you as well. Once you've fulfilled, filled your role, they won't need you anymore either. And he says, the people will have to riot and do something about all these corrupt politicians that have sold the country down the river. And the CSIS guy says, he says, you don't understand. He says, he says, you see, we want you to riot. We want you to riot. We want you to start something. And you've got to understand, on all sides of the patriot movement, um, you are infiltrated. There's no doubt about it. And when they want you to riot, believe you me, it will be when they want you to riot and they'll be ready to deal with it. And they'll have a whole spiel of stuff to put into papers to show the rest of the public who don't know what's going on and who've never been involved in anything that they're dangerous people living among you in order to get more restrictions through through laws. That's what they want. Yeah, yeah and I can understand that. And I can but, but it's true. I mean, one thing you do know, I'm sure you know this too, that all the talking and all the petitions uh, over the last 50 years have done nothing. Yeah. 
I can understand how easily <clears throat> people you know that uh, know you're a good person could easily fall into that excuse of, well, he must have been something wrong with him. Absolutely. If someone were to pick you up. Absolutely. You know what? Uh, one of that personal excuse. Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave us a, a good outline of how this worked in the Soviet Union, which would work in every area, because he said that um, when the, the KGB would come in the middle of the night and grab your neighbors, you had to get turned out to, to witness it. That was a law there, which also terrified you so that you'd never try the same thing. And the neighbors would eventually, in no time at all, after a few, maybe six months of watching this thing, or they'd all go into, into the same mode and they'd say, well, they must have done something wrong. So you're quite right, yeah. I've also noticed with uh, Alexander, and even uh, when you read about... Uh, the uh, Khmer Rouge and uh, all the in every atrocity when they're rounding people up. Yep. Every book I've read on the subject, the first thought people think is, "Wow, well, so they got the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. They can't be arresting me." Yeah. It seems, uh, you know, the shock. Is shock so and disbelief. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and yet, and yet, though, and yet, when you look at how. Um, one of the top generals in the U.S. came out that was in charge of uh, bringing in people for torture in Iraq. Uh, they said it was all run by quotas and so on. They just went out into villages and grabbed whoever was walking around, brought them in and tortured them to please their bosses. So it was being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's what she, that's what she said. That's right. Uh, we've seen the documentaries on uh, taxi cab drivers getting picked up and beaten to death. Yeah. And uh, just to be on, on on the street. That's right. You see, the war, the war. Remember, the psychological war is mainly for the people who have never woken up, and that is always the vast majority. And it's a war of propaganda to make them think um, one thing or another. And for those who, who are opposing it, um, unfortunately, the people who've been trained from childhood to believe television and the authoritarian figures that they've grown up with. The official people, they will always generally believe the official version, and that's what the authorities count on. You know. Well, that reminds me of one thing you've been saying over and over again for years. And a few years ago, I didn't really quite understand what you were getting at. But as things get crazier, I can understand it. You said, uh, you know, the hardest part as we go through this change is going to be maintaining your own san- uh, sanity. Absolutely. As things get more and more ridiculous, mm-hmm. is being able to you know, keep yourself sane and, you know, having people to talk to. Because yeah. it's not even at the point now, I think, where it's really going to be just absurd in the coming years, mm-hmm. where you're really going to have to check yourself. Yes, you, you do, uh, because you're, it, it's so crazy, all the things that have happened since 9-11, and the, the really a, a martial law situation uh, agencies that have come to the top governing your lives for you, uh, telling you you have no privacy in any area. Almost gleefully, even today, every day you read the newspaper, there's, there's more and more uh, or less and less rights to, to privacy. It's getting taken away altogether. And uh, we accept this. Most folk hear it. They all know what's being said, but they, they immediately just ignore it and go off back into fantasy to escape from it. Um, the last thing I want to mention, Alan, is um, I really enjoyed 
I've always enjoyed your books. Uh, really enjoyed the videos. Um, that's one thing I think people just tuning in want to really understand unless they check them out, especially Reality Check 2. And the old blurbs you give out for free. You know, everybody I know who's awake, those are some of, you know, that's everybody's favorites is the blurbs. And there's, I don't know, hundreds of them on your site. And I was wondering if you had any, uh, I know you were working on a book a while ago. I know you're a busy man, but I was wondering if you had anything in the works or uh, plan on putting out any books. I know time's an issue. Yeah, it's an awful issue, but I'd like to really update everything because we are going through such rapid changes now. I know where it's all going because I've read their books at the top. And uh, it's, it's having to write down what's happening, what's going to happen to an audience that can't imagine it yet because they're still stuck in a in a present, although changing reality. Uh, that's the hardest part. And you have to try to simplify it in such a way that they can read it. You know, most people can't read much today at all without losing track of things. They're visually orientated towards video, and with video, uh, the other side can, can literally warp your mind with spins and so on that you can't check on. Right. Well, well for the new people, uh, I know you offer the, the blurbs. You can get, I don't know how many. Uh, it's it's got to be 50 hours on, on each CD. I yeah. don't know, but it's a lot for one CD that you yeah. can get on the blurbs that uh, will, it's kind of like uh, getting a whole new education. Well, you know, you got to follow along. you got to do your own reading and read the source material in the books and all. But yeah. know, I think for the people who are just tuning in, kind of wondering what's going on, mm-hmm. they get a couple of CDs with the blurbs. That's really going to, you know, give them a free yeah. education there. It'll yeah. be worth their while. As I say, it's much more, it's so important. Yeah, thanks for calling. It is so important, that's true, to um, rather than just stick on the daily what they're doing to us and what they plan to do to us tomorrow, like lab rats waiting for the guys in the white coats coming in, um, we have to realize how we've got to where we are, why they're managing it this way, why they even brought it about this way, uh, because they're not stupid at the top. Never, ever think there are stupid people at the top uh, just, uh, um, you, you know, passing strange wild ideas around. These ideas have gone through think tanks, have gone through the, the RAND computers. Everything to do with society, that the direction it's going and how it works has already been done uh, through many, many layers of uh, think tanks and so on. Hello, Eddie, are you there from California? Hello, Eddie. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, what can we do to get ourselves out of this mess that we're in? I mean, I try to wake people up all the time, and, you know, as far as living in the United, United States, I know that I'm a 14th Amendment dead slave, and I could probably do something to get out of that. But as far as the huge picture of this, how do we get ourselves out of the mess we're in? And I'll take your answer offline. Yeah. People look for the quick fix because we expect uh, quick fixes. That's our nature. And... Um, the problem is this has been going on for hundreds of years. We don't realize this is a, a, an organized system in which we live that's planned, directed. Uh, future wars are planned. I remember even during the Vietnam War, uh, there was a CIA guy that came out and talked about the, the wars that they'd already planned for afterwards. Never mentioned what they were, what they were, 
But uh, as they're working on one, you think that's all they would be doing. No, they're working on the ones they would have afterwards. And that's how it's always been for the last few hundred years. Um, so therefore, if since it's a, a long-term event, a long-term planning, just pretty well along the way that H.G. Uh, Wells wrote and things to come, um, then you have to realize it, it would take many, many years as we're going changing, and generations are changing, many years for the basic principles of individual freedom to maybe resurface again. And I'm not kidding about that. Um, walking from the store to your work, wherever, and back again is not freedom. Freedom is the right to privacy, especially the privacy of your own mind. When you have no privacy of your own mind, it's all over. And George Orwell really tried to put that across very well in his book 1984, uh, where you're spied upon all the time. And even your, your, um, he even mentioned, by the way, that cameras detected your expressions. We have these expression readers all over the place today, at airports and so on. Is a guy angry? Is he upset? Is he nervous? Why? Uh, they knew what, he knew what was coming because he was actually asked to come into the big organizational think tanks that were working back in the 1940s and 30s. So but he, he did say an interesting thing in his book, 1984. He says, eventually the people will, will the proles might rebel or something. And O'Brien, who was the, the torturer, the, the head honcho, he said, oh, that wouldn't matter. The proles don't matter. The, the ordinary ones don't matter, meaning they're so out of any reality. They're, they're, they're reading the rag papers at the bottom, basically. But then he says, well, maybe in a thousand years, you know. And it, was, it could take a thousand years to reverse it. Only if the will to freedom is still alive in humanity. And everything, unfortunately, I'm reading to do with science uh, is going full blast ahead to bring them into the complete inability ever, ever to want individual freedom again, including the Borg mentality, the, the chipping of humans, the interfacing with computers. They don't realize them. For everything free given out there, there's a massive sacrifice that you must make. And when they come out and say, well, we'll help you with interfacing with the computer, Someone else is programming that darn thing. Someone will be programming your brain. You don't know what else they're putting in there or doing with it. If we get to that stage for, for, for people, it will be over. It's over. It will be over completely because it's not to enhance the abilities of humans that this is all coming about through science. It's to dominate. Make no mistakes on that because the big elitists at the top run the scientific projects. They finance them. They run the governments that implement the laws. And we find many articles where they've talked about bringing, subduing the populace into this peaceful society. While they say themselves, like Charles Galton Darwin said in his book, The Next Million Years, he said, we must remain wild. We are the leaders of the world. We mustn't alter ourselves. But the general population won't need their higher critical thinking abilities, their survival abilities, personal survival. It's just because the state will be making all their decisions for them. That's the, that's the future that they have envisioned, and that's what they want to bring in. And there's not a day goes by uh, that, I, that I don't go get articles coming in on more and more and more of this interfacing. All they're doing is getting us familiar now with the idea of it, 
uh, as you step up the mantra towards interfacing, whereas in reality they could have done it years ago. They, I always remember Albert Pike, and he says, we never start a premature revolution. And these guys never do. What they could do many years ago, they didn't because it wasn't time. There would have been rebellion. You have to prepare the field before you sow the corn or plant the corn. And that's what they do with society. We are under the greatest form of psychological tyranny that the world has ever known. And it's so beautiful and diabolical in its ability to, to mesmerize whole populations so that they don't even recognize that they are under it. They're still playing. They're still emulating what they see on television. Everything today is emulation. And outside the emulation, you have the dysfunction. But it's all planned that way. Um, people have to really concentrate first on themselves, accumulate the knowledge, and the knowledge too, self-knowledge that you'll never, you might never get a chance to pass it on to a youth, or if you can get enough uh, of an audience, get it out to the youth. I have broken through to a lot who were on the path to self-destruction because they thought something was wrong with them. And it turns out they were the thinkers, you see, the ones who hadn't been dumbed down enough at school and caught and drugged. And what they do when they, when they realize that everything's wrong in the world, that there's big forces working, they go into drugs or alcohol, alcohol, and they start blaming themselves for not fitting in. They can't fit in. They think it's their own fault. No, they can't fit in because the rest of the society they're trying to fit into is a program of dysfunction to keep everyone pacified. And they don't have that. Still, they still have a bit of their wild ability for self-preservation working. And they stop drinking, they stop the drugs. And then they become more active in trying to do something about it. So that's the key to it, uh, is persistence. And not defeatism, and uh, not jumping the gun either. When the big boys, boys want us to do something, they'll tell us to do something. Don't do it then. Back after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're back cutting through the matrix, and I think there's a Jordan from Florida there. Are you there, Jordan? Hello? Hello, yes. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yes, uh, I was wondering why you joined the Sufis. I joined the Sufis. Yes, I was told you joined the Sufis, uh, Arabic secret society. You, you were told I joined the Sufis, by whom? <laughs> well, you uh, took a... Uh, in other words, they you went you took a trip to I believe India and they only let you know fellow Sufis take that trip. So if you don't promote the Sufism, they kill you. No, I didn't uh, join Sufis. And um, if you go to India, you'll meet hundreds of sects and cults. But what you will learn there is where every other religions really came from, because. Everything there is so darned ancient. In fact, it's a very interesting place on that. To even a lot of the names in the Old Testament and the stories all come from India initially. And uh, the problem is you'll never get any further as to the source of who caused it all, how long ago, and who brought all these things into being. 
But what the Sufis do know, of course, is, is the fact that, um, and all Indians know this, all Hindus know this, that um, history is far older, far, far older than mankind is taught in the West. And they claim in their, you can believe it or not, but they claim in their histories that they go back millions of years with civilizations. Uh, that's that's possible, it's iffy. It's a, it's a stance you take on it if you want to. But I think they're quite right. We're far, far older and that knowledge is far older, especially the knowledge is, uh, the knowledge of controlling, I think, people and rising up of populations and civilizations and the decline of civilizations. That ties in with what Plato talked about too, with Atlantis and, um, his uncle Solon being told the same thing when the Greeks, who only thought they'd been around for a, a few hundred years as a superpower, uh, didn't even know how old they really were as a race. So when you look into the ancient world of, uh, say, the Stonehenges, which really are all across the planet, these round circles and so on, uh, megalithic and uh, stones, Peru, all these places, it tells me that, that there definitely was travel in ancient times, ancient times, before they give us um, civilization. Prehistoric simply means before anything was written down. So I think, to be honest with you, that um, there's been wisdom passed down between controllers for thousands of years, and uh, probably in the beginning through word of mouth, father to son, in the families, maybe even then into secret societies, no doubt, because power is something you don't share if you want to keep it, especially power over other peoples. So I think that's um, that's a, a distinct possibility. We are far, far older than they say. But uh, India is a very confusing place as well because there's so many sects with, uh, with so many weird beliefs. Um, and even then, I think a lot of the sects are fronts for other things because they'll, they'll all have their own inner brotherhoods attached to them. Right, I see. Um, like, the other caller was like asking for something tangible to do about the uh, New World Order and all that stuff. How about how about uh, unplugging the computer at the uh, Moho Discontinuity where all the Neanderthalers live? I'd agree. Here's their problem. You have See, they bypass the older folk and go right to the young children. And they've already conditioned a generation regardless of what the older folk are going to do. The young folk are addicted to this stuff, and they love it, unfortunately. You'd have to start communicating again with the youth. And parents don't know how to do that now. They're too darned busy and occupied with other things. Yeah, that's it. But thanks for calling. Yes, amazing the amount of stuff that goes around the internet. I'm a MI6 spy, I'm this spy, I'm that spy, and, and I've done all weird and wonderful things. Anyway, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.